Welcome to the Premier League Tonight podcast. Tonight I was joined at Anfield by Owen Hargreaves, Jermaine Genus and a man who knows a little bit about playing here, Steve McManaman. On this week's pod we're talking about Liverpool's form. It goes from strength to strength after they've rolled through Bournemouth and we spoke to Jurgen Klopp's man of the match, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. And it's a strange rivalry with a long and confusing history, so why can't Crystal Palace and Brighton stand each other? And how much trouble are Brighton in now? The pressure's on Mark Hughes once again. His struggling Southampton side conceded three goals for the third game in a row as they threw away a 2 lead to lose to Chelsea. Is it game over for Southampton now as they lie five points from safety? After Brentford's last-minute equaliser at Fulham, we know our first newly promoted member of next year's Premier League. A big congratulations to Wolves. And to celebrate, we caught up with their keeper, John Ruddy. It was another perfect weekend for Burnley as they continue their European charge. Is Sean Dykes the manager of the season? And finally, on a week of incredible comebacks, we take a look back at some of the most unbelievable turnarounds in Premier League history. These two have just been talking about Trent Alexander-Arnold, the man who you decided was man of the match today, and Steve's not sure he'd have him on the plane to Russia if he's not going to play. What would you do with him? I, I, the way he's playing now, I would I, honestly, I think people might th- think different. I would start him. If Kyle Walker, he's already experimented with the fact that Kyle Walker's played right up at three centre-backs. I wouldn't play him ahead of Kyle Walker, no way. But if Kyle Walker's, if he wants a, a bit of pace at the heart of his defence, which is probably the only reason he played Kyle Walker there, because Stones and Maguire are not quick. So maybe he wants Kyle Walker in there as an option, a bit of pace to recover back. If Alexander-Arnold plays with him, that right side could be scary. What, as a right wing back then? Yeah. He's going to play a three, Gareth. I think he's been prepping that you know, virt- virtually for a year. So if, if, why would he play Walker there if he's not planning on doing the future? Should you play him instead of Trippier? Yeah. Why? Okay. Because I think a, a kid like that, I, when, I, when I came through in my first year, I came into the team quite late. And you gain momentum playing in these big games. I played in the Champions League semi-final. He's going to get to do that. His confidence is going to be through the roof. He was the best player on the pitch today. And I think he's peaking at the right time. And I think the thing I like about him is he has personality. He's aggressive. He's very good in possession. He wins challenges. Nobody ever really beats him one against one. I'm not sure what, I'm not sure what his weakness is right now. Would you agree with that, Jermaine? Uh, not just take him, I wouldn't, start I wouldn't, him. I wouldn't start him. Um, I definitely, you know, as I mentioned before, you know, I'd be, I'd be leaning towards taking him right now, given the fact that Kyle Walker will be part of that okay. three. I think sometimes, you know, he, obviously, it's fresh in our minds what Trent has just done this week, and I think sometimes you can get carried away with that. And I think if we, you know, a couple of months ago we were talking about Kieran Trippier's couple of performance, uh, his performance against Real Madrid at Wembley, and I think just. You know, a bit of perspective sometimes, he's a top player, and I, I think I would take him, but maybe sometime to, to start him, I, I, I probably wouldn't right now, but I, I get what Owen's saying. When, he, when you're on that, you know, the cusp of a wave and you're flying as a young yeah. player and you're fearless, you know, there is that element of just chuck him out there. The only reason I would say maybe ahead of Trebet is because he has more upside in terms of he's a better athlete. So in terms of getting up the pitch and getting back in defensive, maybe he's a bit more aggressive as well. So I think that in a tournament football, that's the reason I played in that Champions League semi-final against a player who was 32. And the manager told me after it was because I had more upside. So if I played at my best, it would be better than, say, another player. Well, I'll tell you what, let's expand the conversation out. I'm pleased to say that Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain joins us live right now from the tunnel. Alex, first of all, um, congratulations today. We're just in the middle of a conversation here about training. Alexander-Arnold. Would you want, want him sitting by you on that plane to Russia? Would you take him to the World Cup? Firstly, hi guys. Um, yeah, look, I, I, I don't know about that. I think Trent's 
un undoubtedly going to be playing for England at some point. He's definitely good enough. Um, I, I see it week in, week out, day in, day out. Um, he's got the ability. He's been playing unbelievably well at the moment. Obviously, as, as his friend and his teammate, I'd love to see him on that plane. Um, but that's something for, for the manager to, to decide. And if he does, I've got full faith that Trent can do the job. OK, uh, we've actually got a tweet that's just come in from Asim saying Steve McManaman is spot on regarding Trent for the World Cup. Don't go. There's no point travelling around Russia as third choice just to be part of it. Stay at home and have a summer Yeah, off I think if he's, got, if he's going to play, then that's what you're discussing with yeah. Owen and, and JJ. Uh, yeah, of course, take him, but I just don't want him to go and waste four to five weeks doing nothing. But, I, I mean, I, I wanted to ask Alex, actually. How's, how, Alex, how's your confidence at the moment? Because I thought you've been fantastic today and your energy levels are, are through the roof. Thank you. Um, yeah, no, I'm feeling good at the moment. Um, I'm feeling quite fit um, and strong. Uh, and I think I've been going into the game's second half and uh, excuse me, feeling feeling stronger as the game's going on. Uh, I think that was definitely the case today. Um, and you know, when when you've got the likes of Mo running forward, uh, it's 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 almost an invite just to follow them. Um, and you know, that's what the manager was asking me to do: make sure I'm getting up and supporting attacks, and and when I get on the ball, breaking through the lines, uh, running with the ball, and and the game's been opening up for me. And and then it's it's a case of whether to shoot or uh, try and find one of the front three. Well, we're all very jealous of your chef pictures that you keep on doing. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that chef is making for you, Alex, it's working. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. The energy is crazy. Yeah. It's mad. Um, give us an insight into the atmosphere at the moment in the dressing room here, but also at Melwood when you're coming into training every day. You know, you're a team in the Champions League semi-final with a decent chance of winning the thing. Yeah, obviously we've 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 given ourselves a really good chance now, and and when when you're winning games and and when you're achieving good things together, the mood in the camp's always always a lot better. You know, if you lose games, everyone's miserable. That's that's the way it goes. So, at the moment, the mood's really good. Um, everyone's buzzing around. I think the whole city as a whole has been really really behind us. You know, we went we went for the walk today, and um, it felt like we'd already won something. And uh, that's a credit to these Liverpool fans. But we need to make sure we stay focused and realise we haven't got anything done yet, and uh, we keep plugging. Away. Alex, JJ, mate, I just want to go back to when you kind of very first arrived at Melwood at Liverpool and um, obviously the initial stages of your Liverpool career were, were a lot more difficult obviously than what it seems right now. Just kind of talk us through that process really of you know, how mentally strong you had to be to go from that to where you are now. Yes, um, it definitely wasn't an easy start. You know, when you when you move to any new club, you you want to hit the ground running. You want to be scoring goals as quick as possible, get off the mark and and playing and, and almost you know trying to prove yourself. Um, that didn't happen for for a few months, and and it was it was I wouldn't say it was difficult to settle into to the club. Everyone was really welcoming, and and inside um, the club, it was it was really good for me. It was just you know the performances on the pitch. Maybe I wasn't getting as much game time. Well, I definitely wasn't getting as much game time as I wanted. But you know, I think that was to to make me learn how the manager wants me to play. And I think there was definitely areas of my game that I needed to to adapt to and change. And I think over time, I've I've managed to do that, and I'm I'm still learning now. But yeah, it's it's, it's definitely um, a different different outlook to to how it was at the start of the season for me now. And um, you know, I think that's through hard work and and the coaching staff helping me and the players as well and and the fans as well. I've got to give them credit. They've been amazing for me ever since I've come here supporting me um, and you know now I've just got to keep trying to give it back to them. There was some pretty strong criticism of you um, on another channel at the very start of the season when you first made your, your way to Liverpool. Was, th was there any part of you, as horrible as it is to hear that at the time, and I know you would have heard it because players hear what gets said about them, is there any part of you that actually now reflects on that maybe being a slight positive? You took a bit of inspiration from that, you wanted to react to that criticism, you wanted to change people's 
opinions? Well, I think I've, I've experienced that all the way through my career. Um, when you play for, for a top club like Liverpool or Arsenal, you always come under um, a lot of scrutiny and, and people are always watching your every move maybe a little bit more. Um, so I'm kind of used to that. Um, it's, it's never nice to hear hear you know bad things and and I'm I'm someone that always wants to to try and impress and do my best so that's uh, that's not nice to hear of course but over the over my career I've learned to to try and shut those things out and and I'm my own biggest critic so you know I know when I'm I'm not doing well enough and I know well when I'm I am doing well enough. Um, so I just had to keep faith, and, and it was all about the process of, of understanding why I came here. I knew I had to you know, learn new things and had faith, and the manager showed a lot of faith in me as well, so that helped. Um, and then it was just plugging away, and, and I think slowly um, you know, I'm maybe changing a few a few of those opinions, um, but you know, I've got to keep working hard to, to do that and, and helping the team win, and, and there's definitely, definitely more room for improvement for me, I know. Hi, Alex. It's, it's Owen Hargreaves here. I was just thinking, how, how much of your... Obviously, you have so much raw natural ability. How, how has Jurgen Kopp taken that talent that you have and kind of moulded it into playing in a more central position, which you, have, which you really didn't get the opportunity to at Arsenal? Um, I think... I did get opportunities um, at Arsenal, maybe not as definitely not as many in there as I'd, I'd have liked, of course. But since I've come here, um, the managers first and foremost, you know, taught me a different way of, of defending and, and and how to get around the pitch and areas I've got to be in. Um, and then ultimately, it's just constantly pushing me to, to be the guy that, that makes the difference, um, whether that's shooting more or, you know, getting up and attacking and, and, and creating things. Um, he's always really pushy for me to, to keep doing that and keep driving forward. And, um, you know, it's when it comes from your manager, to, he gives you that license to just go and run with the ball or, or to break, break forward and, and be, the, be that guy. Um, it does help. And, it gives you a lot of confidence. Um, so you know, I had I had obviously had a, an amazing, amazing manager in in Arsene Wenger as well, who's who works differently. But you know, since I've I've come to Liverpool, I've been given a different role. Um, and in recent weeks, maybe more responsibility to to go and attack. And you know, I'm really enjoying that. And uh, you know, hopefully, it can continue. Good man, Alex. Look, we appreciate you taking the time. Finally, we've had a, a social media message from Miguel who says, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain is immense for Liverpool. As a Liverpool supporter, I simply can't fault his performances right now, justifying the manager wanting him. And finally, talking about the manager, um, it was Owen who decided Trent should be man of the match today. To be fair, you were a close second, Alex. <laughs> you might not know this, but uh, Jürgen Klopp came out and in his post-match press conference to us, he actually said that you made the wrong decision and it should have been Alex who was man of the match today. I said he was a close second. <laughs> there you go, a close second. Look, Alex, thanks very much. Guys. Um, yeah, and if you've got any going spare, Mac is very keen on some of that chest shaving product that you keep on advertising. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got a few yeah. don't worry. It's a brave advert. It's a brave. <laughs> you've got the body for it. Top thanks, man, thanks guys. very much. Cheers, thank you. Appreciate it. Bye Take bye. care. Well done. Yeah. Talks very well. He's a good ambassador for this club, isn't he? Very much so, and he was um, exceptional today. And um, his performance is getting to the latter end of the season, getting to the business end, getting to the most important end, are getting better and better. Mm -hmm. And um, it's. Well, it's excellent for himself personally after after what's happened with his move from Arsenal to Liverpool. But the fact that he's gone on to another level, I think, is that, oh yeah, as Manchester City are winning two 0 But he's gone on to um, he's gone on to another level, hasn't he? Yeah, there you go. Man City two 0 up, good around with the second one there. Well, you, you've all played the game to the highest level. Give us an an idea into what you think has gone on here from a guy who looked out of sorts and out of confidence playing perhaps out of position at Arsenal to looking like a different player here at Liverpool what has happened here is it him is it the manager is it changes yeah it's the manager and it's confidence I think it's that you watch Chamberlain play and you you couldn't see that that kid had super talent I think then you then you're not watching the right game kid is quick 
technically very good, strong, mm. powerful, can play multiple positions. On, but yeah, the point yeah. is, what he needs is somebody to tell him, this is what I expect from you. This is what I demand from you every game. And I think you saw today, I couldn't believe with how much confidence he played in the game today. And honestly, he could have been man of the match. But I just thought the pass from Alexander-Arnold for the goal was exquisite. But Chamberlain today was, was easily one of the best yeah, players you know, on the in, pitch. His, in his last year for Arsenal, he was one of their best players. I think when, when, when As he was a wing-back, wasn't he? He played wing-back, played right wing-back, left wing-back, and he was unbelievable. Mm. And it's what essentially got him his move here. I think that's that continuity of playing central midfield and obviously learning the different aspects of the game, as well as his mental strength that he's already got. That's why he's now churning out performances and will be starting for England at the World Cup. Yeah, and I think sometimes if, 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 if you're playing well in a team, but the team is struggling or the standards drop, then everybody seems to everybody then seems to take criticism, don't they? Your good performances get lost if you've lost a game or haven't played well. At the moment, but aren't the fact they? that Liverpool yeah. are doing well and winning games. They're, all their individual performances are getting highlighted. Loads of people getting in touch talking about Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain just saying how well spoken he is and what a good ambassador he is for Liverpool. Um, three word match reports. Matt says Mane, Firmino, Salah. Very simple. You know who he supports. He's of course a Liverpool fan. Um, Alexander, who's also a Liverpool fan, just says Trent Alexander-Arnold. And Burnley fan Rich says European tour on. It's looking like it at the moment. Um, if you take a look at the bottom of the table, though, you can see that there's not going to be a European tour for West Bromwich Albion, Stoke or Southampton. In fact, those three may well be looking at championship football next season. A very difficult day for those three. But what about the teams directly above them? Earlier on, uh, Palace and Brighton were involved in action and Terence and Tom can share their match day with us. Welcome to one of the biggest games of the season, Palace away. It's Derby Day in South London, it's the big one, Crystal Palace against Brighton. The rivalry nobody seems to get. Crazy first half, 3-2 to Palace, um, led 2-0 and 3-1, but it goes in 3-2 at half-time, Zaha with a couple. I'm breathless. I just want to beat them so they can be quiet and go home. That was what Zaha said in the build-up to the game this week. And he's turned up once again, scoring twice against Brighton for the second time in his career. Great for Palace fans, but for us it's not good enough. Um, we've got a hard running, Spurs and City are games in hand. We, we've got grind results and the main thing we need to do is not have sloppy defence, defensive mistakes throughout the game, let alone at the beginning. So otherwise we're just chasing the game and that's not what we need for Premier League survival. Well, that win today leaves Crystal Palace six points above the bottom three. I mean, what an important victory for Roy. Do you think he's done it? He's on the verge of doing it, isn't he? Well, he's definitely on the verge of doing it. Um, I think, obviously, he's definitely told a few people that need to be quiet after the... Yeah. When, when he originally arrived, obviously, eyebrows were raised and he's, he's definitely put them on the right tra uh, track to survival. But they are so reliant on Wilfred Zaha. I mean, the period when he was injured only recently... They then started to plummet again towards the bottom of the table. Then he comes back in and all of a sudden, you know, they're heading in the right direction again. But there, yeah, the lad, he's turned up and uh, you know, done the job today. And if you just take a look at points on the board, you would look at that and say, well, Brighton are a point above Crystal Palace. So if we think Crystal Palace might be safe, then surely Brighton will be as well. But here is, here is the big issue for Brighton. These are their remaining fixtures. Uh, they will play Spurs at home, who are fourth. They'll play Burnley away, who are seventh. They will play Manchester United, currently second. They'll play Man City, currently first, Liverpool, currently third. You could see them not getting a single point from those games, Owen. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what Maka thinks, but that must be the worst set of fixtures for any team yeah. down in, in, in that <laughs> yeah. situation. And look, Burnley are flying, by the way. Um, so I really feel sorry for, for them. I mean, they've had a terrific season, Brighton, but those fixtures are you're, awful. And everybody, United's got something to play for, City, Liverpool. You're hoping, though, that Liverpool are in Champions League final. 
be resting a few minutes. But the boys won't want to play poorly because City, City have won the league by then. Liverpool's, if they're in the Champions League final, it's going to be two weeks after that, so that won't matter. It's the FA Cup final is going to be the week after, yes, isn't it? But the lads won't want to play in, in, in the last last game of the Premier League or potentially and play poorly so they don't play in the Champions League final. Do you know what I mean? So <laughs> I remember when we were at Bayern, we went to the Champions League final. Everybody was peaking kind of right time. trying to peak at the right time. I mean, it would be a real shame because Brighton have come up. They've been great for the league. Chris Hutton looks to have done enough. But just not having the points on the board with that kind of a running really could be a serious issue. Well, the th- I mean, the thing is, is that They've got five games left, albeit difficult fixtures. They've got seven points more mm. than the teams below them who can't win a game either. Who can struggle to score as well, don't they? They'd rather be there than swap with Southampton, wouldn't they? They're yeah. seven points clear yeah, of Southampton who can't, who yeah. can't get a win I mean, ju- judging on their performance today. I did a yes, little they've got a hard running, but it doesn't matter. They've got seven more points than them. The seven from safety. There's five games to play. The average points per game this season for Saints and Stoke, who are the only two teams that realistically can catch those above them, is 0.8 point, yeah, points less per than game. One, yeah. Now, if Stoke and Southampton continue that form, <laughs> as they have done for the last 33 games, they're not even getting out of the bottom. Yeah, field. exactly. No. They're not catching anybody, let alone catching Brighton. Maybe this is the year when 34 points is, is safe. You don't have to get to 37 or the magical 40 that we've talked about. I mean, if... If we, are getting, if we are staying in the league with 34 and 35 points, we've got a serious problem with quality yeah, exactly. in the league. Exactly. Well, what does that um, say about the Premier League? I mean, we, even, we, haven't got, we, we, know, we know what the quality's chalk and cheese, isn't it? The top half are great, the bottom half is awful. There's more money than ever before in this, in this division. How can those yeah, teams... But spend money so wisely, that? Jake. I mean, look, those teams down there, Southampton, so they struggle scoring goals. West Brom, they struggle scoring goals. You think about the teams up there, Palace, Zaha, you know, he'll, he can get you goals. West Ham, they can score. I think for those teams down there... That's a difficult issue for them, Stoke. You know, they've, they've actually played a lot of games without a recognised number nine, you think. I just think that, that section of the league is just more competitive now than it used to be. You could almost, you know, you could always bank on one side that we're going to be getting relegated most seasons. I couldn't have probably, I, I wouldn't have said West Brom, Stoke and Southampton would have been in the bottom three this year. I and I don't think anybody saw what Brighton, obviously Newcastle... Um, Sorry, another team that came up of Huddersfield uh, have gone on to uh, achieve this year and where, and where they're positioned. So I just think it's that competitive nature from 10th and, you know, to, yeah. to the bottom of the table. They're just all taking points off each other. So I think teams getting to 35, 37 points, I, it, I agree with Mike, it could be enough. The quality is not very good. We like to say we've got a wonderful Premier League, but actually the bottom half of the table, and we've seen them on numerous occasions, some of the performances is nowhere near good enough. And I know they've got lots of money, but they shouldn't spend lots of money. Or the people that are buying are earning too much money. And they should invest in the, I don't know, the future of the U teams or something like that. But the players they're bringing in Mac on high right. quality, isn't, they're it's nowhere good near good enough. Recruitment is an issue for, I think, a lot of teams in the Premier League. You look at the top and you look at the bottom. There's so many teams that recruit poorly, you know, that spend money poorly. You look at, I know City is a simple example. There's players there from seven, eight years ago that still play in the team now. You know, they've spent well. You think about a lot of the other teams, there's, you know, there's 30, 40, 50 million being wasted on players that virtually don't make you any better. Yeah, but you'd argue that West Brom, for example, re- recruited possibly the best Premier League squad that they've ever had. But the problem is, JJ, their midfield, they're all, they're all v- very similar players. They're all similar you know, Livermore, Kershaw, Viak, Berry, all good players. But actually, you look at the midfield today from Liverpool, they almost complement each other. They did different jobs. Chamberlain was an athlete, Henderson sat, Wijnaldum was the ball player. I look at West Brom and I think they could potentially go down the fact that those midfield players, it's a manager's job, by the way, to complement each other in recruitment-wise. Of course, the boys are going to do a job, as you would if we played together. 
But I think the club probably failed maybe in that recruitment side of having somebody different in there to complement maybe two sitters. But if it's good for anyone, it's good for championship sides, possibly yeah. for only the third time yeah. in Premier League history. The three sides that got promoted may well stay in the league. And it's bad news for the three sides in the bottom three at the moment. One of them, Southampton, uh, felt hard done by today. Here is the post-match thoughts of Mark Hughes. It was a poor tackle. It was a tackle that could have been more severe and, and more drastic consequences for Shane. Thankfully, he's OK and he's just got raked down the calf, but he, he should have gone. So clearly, they, Chelsea down to 10 men in the first half with ourselves in the ascendancy. Puts a, a different slant on the game, clearly. Uh, but those are key moments and, and the referees have got to get them right. Maybe that's why they're not in the World Cup this year. And it's a real shame because they put a huge effort in today. You saw the reaction of the crowd. They were with them all the way at the end. Um, they got clapped off for their efforts. I don't think that's happened in too, too many occasions here in recent weeks. So there was a recognition of that effort. But we've got to have more than just effort. We've got to have intelligence and, and understanding what's required. Well, he's not happy, but if they do go down, it's not because of the referee not giving the right decision in his eyes on the mm -hmm. Alonso and Shane Long incident, is it? I mean, he's yeah. got bigger problems. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were, they were tuning a lot with 20 yeah. minutes to go, I think. I mean, I didn't see the, the incident, whether it was a sending off or not, so I can't necessarily comment. But I know they were tuning up and they were at home and they were up against the Chelsea team who were struggling and they lost 3-2. This that's, that says story is, is fascinating as it is depressing because this is the club that two or three years ago all of us were looking at saying, if you're outside the top five or six, this is the club everybody wants to be. This is the system that we all think works and now look where they are. Well, they obviously took that system a little bit too far. Um, <laughs> well, they have, haven't they? Yeah, they have. Yeah, the you're play, right. The yeah. players that they've sold, they took it too far. I mean, you, you were saying earlier, weren't you, about uh, Man City and the fact that they've still got, what, eight players from the very first investment that are still at that club and uh, a part of the fabric. And Southampton seem to think that they are almost immune to that and can just be selling top It's naive, top isn't it? It's naive of the, of the club to think they can get away with it. It is naive, but and then obviously on the on the, the flip side, so that's even happening at management level, where they're just kind of getting rid of really good managers. So it, it's a recipe for disaster. I, I have no idea who makes the decisions down there. Another Labour family had it, and then um, he passed it on to his daughter, didn't he? When, it, when yeah. it sadly he passed away, and then I think she sold a, a, a portion of the company to a Chinese consortium. Again, forgive me if I'm if I'm wrong, but somebody up there has gone. We can sell him, yeah, that's good business. And then we can keep on selling and keep on selling, culminating in Van Dyke going in January. We can keep going, keep going, change managers a couple of times, thinking that it was this never-ending fairy tale of receiving plenty of money in, banking a lot of it, being very rich, and hoping it'll, it'll carry on. But, Maka, how, how do they think they're better than a ninth-place finish in the League Cup final? They're not, are they, Southampton, no. really? I mean, say, give or take your seventh, eighth, ninth, and they move on from Cloud Puel. But they also wanted better football, didn't they? Yeah, but the point is, if Southampton go down, it's not Mark Hughes' problem. No. It's not. They didn't go down because of Mark Hughes. They go down because the club made a decision to change managers. That didn't work out. Puel did a... Well, ninth is, is, is good enough, don't you think, for Southampton? Oh, yeah, definitely. But what, what Mark Hughes has now um, taken over is a, is a very negative side. They, they've been set up all season playing negative football. They've had five wins. And, you know, to put that into perspective, I think Swansea have been absolutely you know, struggling all season. Yeah. They've got eight wins. So, you know, they're not a team that have been winning games. They, they, they draw far too many games. But isn't the Southampton way, wasn't it, you know, Pochettino, Koeman, you know, possession? I think outside the top six, I think they're the most possession of, of any team outside the top six. So, actually, they want to play. Yeah. They want to play football, but it's not working. All of a sudden, they go get Mark Hughes, who is probably more of a safe pair of hands to try and keep them up. So, they've almost lost their identity 
along the way trying to survive, he's, haven't he's they? He's got to figure that out. He's got to get them back to being more risk-taking, expansive, and find a way to get some confidence in this side. In fairness to him, he scored two goals at the Emirates. He scored two goals today against Chelsea, and that is exactly what he'll be leaning on. I was thinking, what does he say to his team after today? Because half of you wants well, to absolutely get, go into that dressing room and tear, tear, tear everybody apart. But then as a manager, he's got to be thinking, I've got to just get some positives out of this. And we've put in two good 60-minute performances against two top sides. How do I kind of expand on that going forward and get the points I need? We all thought they'd found the, sort of the, the golden key. To, to footballing success. I mean, but look at the players that have left. Lallana, this is just some of them. Lalana, Mane, Wanyama, Lovren, Van Dijk, Shaw, Klein, Chambers, Schneiderlin, Font. £283 million. Pounds yeah, but if you're a bank, Jake, they're great figures. The if, if you're a bank, it's a great, you know. Bank, you're yeah, it's points, a football club. I, I actually think they've still got a decent squad. They do, actually, yeah. I, I think they've got a decent squad. And I think where they've, um, where they've gone too far with it is in those central defensive areas, when they have sold, they've not replaced with like-for-like like quality. And if you add to that the fact that Foster's had a, a, a very poor season by his standards and fell off it as well, they just leak goals. And obviously at the top end, they don't score enough, which is the formula to go down. It'd be fascinating if, if they go down, what they decide to do. Their sort of next long-term plan yeah. to come back up from the, uh, from the championship. Remember, they dropped into the third tier. Maybe it might do them the well. They're good to sort of regroup and start again. Because they've certainly got the finances to talk about how much money these banks well, They've certainly learned a lesson, haven't they? Uh, let's talk about a team who will feel good tonight. Uh, Huddersfield. These are, this is their post-match reaction of one of their fans, David Major. What an ending that was. That was absolutely ridiculous. I was literally just sort of bemoaning the fact that we don't have enough quality in our squad and we are punching well above our weight in this division. And I genuinely thought we'd completely run out of steam. Uh, and that was us done. Uh, and if we didn't win today, I honestly thought we were going to go down. But we've just put ourselves in a fantastic position to stay in this division. Tom Ince, he might not have had the best of seasons. He might, he might have struggled at first. But he's just written himself in Tuddersfield Town folklore, especially if we can stay up. Today's massive. That was fantastic. Do you know what? It's going to be some story, actually, if we end up with a league this season where Huddersfield, Newcastle yeah. and Brighton come Very up from so. the Championship and stay in the league. It, it, and it's not all about spending your way no, to No, it's success. not. It's about you know, getting on with what you've got. The managers have come in. We know the manager's been great at the club. We know that sometimes you'll go and you're not going to have this expansive football. They know sometimes it's going to be really hard watch, which it has been at times when we've been to see them. But look at them today. They're difficult to beat, they're difficult to score against, and if they nick a goal, they, you know, they're, they're staying up. And as, as you said, when I've seen Newcastle's and Huddersfield's and Brighton, you think to yourself, oh, I fear for these. Yeah. Yet, all the time, and whether it's we've, we've praised Rafa this year and we've praised David Wagner and, of yeah. course, we've, we've um, praised Chris Hewton, they've done an incredible job, an incredible job with the resources that they've had. And maybe, you know, you take a look at the clubs at the bottom, West Brom, Southampton, Stoke, you can't take Premier League life for granted. Keep no. investing, keep on pushing, keep on improving. Otherwise, before you know it, you go from eighth in the league like Southampton and you're down. Big news in the Championship today and late drama as well. A bit early, Ron Brentford were playing Fulham. If Fulham dropped points, it promoted Wolves to the Premier League. Fulham were leading until the 95th minute when Brentford got an equaliser. It was drama for Wolves fans, particularly Stuart and Ethan who were there. Last minute drama yet again. Four, three, four weeks in a row. It's, look at his face, look at his face. Never seen Wolves in the Premier League before, and now we are Premier League. We deserve it. We've been the best team all season long, and we're back where we belong now. We are Premier League. <laughs> oh, I love that. Well, so do I. Look at his face. <laughs> For every person who says we are doomed, you have someone like that saying we go. are Premier League. It's that crazy, is what football's it? all about. It wasn't it just the fans crazy. who enjoyed it as well. Uh, Benneke Fobi, who, of course, his parent club is Bournemouth. Um, he was with the players. They were having a team meal this evening. 
They were watching the game and these are the scenes where they knew they'd done it. And there's the Wolves goalkeeper, John Ruddy, who's been in great form this season. Uh, most clean sheets in English football. And he joins us now live on the phone. A round of applause for John and Wolverhampton Wanderers. Yep. Well done, John. Congratulations. Uh, what was the emotion like for you all watching uh, the game over dinner? Oh, well, it was, yeah, it was really surreal. We had two rooms and um, one of the streams was quicker than the other. So <laughs> it was, it, we were in that moment where half of the team knew that we were up. We were still watching the TV, waiting for the final whistle to play. So, yeah, it was oh, a great amazing. moment. Amazing. John, it's Stevie Mack. I, um, I remember speaking to you at the Champions League final and uh, you were talking about getting, you know, what club you were, were going to go to after after Norwich. How has this season gone? How does it progress? Um, to be fair, it's gone exactly how I hoped it would, obviously. Um, it was a big decision at the moment of my career. I've never experienced before having been a free agent and having to pick a club. But, um, you know, as soon as I went to Wolves training ground and spoke to the manager, um, it became clear that it was a club that was going to match my ambitions. And you know, to, to be able to say we're promoted with four games remaining um, sums up exactly what season it's been. And how's, how's the manager been? Because, of course, he's, he's not very well known in, um, in English football yet, anyway. Yeah, I know he's top draw. Um, his CV speaks for itself as well. He's, he's manager some big, big clubs. Um, and, you know, he took the, the opportunity to come over here because he believed in the project that was being built here as well. So he's, um, he's put his, his work efforts spread across the group. Um, and he's, a, he's an extremely likeable guy, but he's also a very demanding manager. And like I said, that's rubbed off as well. How quickly, when you arrived at Wolves, John, did you did you realise that actually they had something special going on? I mean, I remember I gave you the advice to sign for Sunderland. Uh, <laughs> Good friend. Hey? Yeah. Good friend. I was trying to do you a favour in the time. <laughs> You're trying to get me even further away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, I've got my reasons. Um, <laughs> when did you realise that there's something special at that training ground and that setup? Um, you could tell the early doors. Um, the players they were looking to bring in, the players that they were already there. You know, you could tell just from the infrastructure of the club, the training grounds uh, are fantastic, and they're already making improvements on it for next year. The ground is. It was a fantastic stadium, Premier League worthy, and the fans have been brilliant this year as well. So it was a club that was always, you know, you, you hear the term sleeping giant quite a lot, getting thrown about, but it really is. And, um, you know, hopefully this can be the, the first step of realising that potential. Uh, John, it's JJ. Um, obviously, you've uh, heavily invested in your, your squad. You've got some top players, you know, playing in the Championship this year. And the talk now, I'm guessing, is going to be leaning towards, right, Moving forward, we're in the Premier League, you know, who's going to be coming in? But when you look at this team and the team that you're playing in, um, you know, would you say that you're already prepared to, you know, to, to be playing against some of the best sides in the Premier League? I think we'll certainly be able to accredit ourselves as well. Um, you know, there'll obviously be additions, as there is with any club that gets promoted from the Championship. And the good thing is that the club has shown they're not scared to put the investment in um, and, and trust the, the manager's judgment. And, and the players that they're going to bring in. We've got a fantastic squad, but the most important thing is it's a young squad as well. So there's, there's plenty of room to develop, um, and it's an exciting time to be part of it, and I'm, I'm really proud to be part of it. All right, John, it's Owen Hargreaves. I, was just, I know the Premier League is, is, is a long way away, but do you think you'll come into the Premier League and try and match teams and you know, play that attacking football? Because as JJ made a good point, you know, star players really that probably wouldn't normally play in the Championship. Do you think you'll come into the Premier League and try and play toe-to-toe -to -toe with some of the Premier League teams, the best ones? 
Well, that's that's the most refreshing thing about the manager is he's got a certain way of playing. He believes in his system. He believes in his his players that he's putting in the system. Um, and like we've showed this season, we've more than matched every team we've played against and we've never changed our approach. We've backed ourselves in every single game we've gone into. And I think, to be honest, I think it'll be similar in the Premier League. Um, you know, obviously the, the calibre of player will go up, but like I said, we can we can make that investment and, and bring in the additions needed as well. Yeah, I think there's no shortage of money among the owners, let's put it that way. Listen, John, we appreciate you taking the time out. It looked like dinner was good fun among the lads and you almost get, I suppose, what Wolves fans think is the perfect opportunity to celebrate tomorrow at home against Birmingham. Doesn't get much better than that, right? Absolutely, yeah. It's, uh, this is a real evening because obviously you want to go and celebrate, but we've got to keep our minds focused. You know, we've been top of the league since October the 31st, so... We need to go out and make sure we finish the season as champions as well. Yeah, that's what he says, and then he goes straight out with the lads. <laughs> <laughs> we know what goes on. Don't try and pull the wool over these boys' eyes. John, you're sure he's your friend? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, mate, congratulations. Congratulations, John. Congratulations. Well done. Well done. Take care. Thanks very much. Thanks very much. Um, and I guess, you know, Wolves fans will be looking at the Premier League table, feeling good about things because we've seen that teams can come up into the league and hold their own if they do it right. And look at that for Burnley. A few seasons after they were championship regulars, they are looking at Europe. We can now hear from Natalie, who's a Burnley fan, and Sean Dyche. So it is all over at Turf Moor. And Burnley have secured an absolutely massive win in the race for seventh. Let's admit that very, very difficult for us in the second half and my nerves were jangling. But Burnley have very much secured, I think seventh place now, I think that's it, I think it's done and we just need Southampton to not win the FA Cup. Please explain to me how Sean Dyche is not the manager of the season. He has guided this squad and this budget to seventh in the Premier League. I could not be prouder. European football and manager of the season, here we come. For us, Burnley Football Club, it's even been spoken about. It's a long, long, long way from where we were five and a half years. A long, long way from where we were at the end of last season. You know, you get 40 points with two to go and it's like a big sigh of relief. This season, achieve 40 and then the mentality to carry on after that. Fantastic. So we'll see where it goes. We'll see where it goes. Well, I know that the two of you have been down at the Burnley training ground the last couple of weeks. When you went down there, what, what struck you about the place that maybe surprised you, something that was a bit special? Um, I, I really enjoyed the, the togetherness of the players, actually. Um, even like myself, kind of welcomed me in. Yeah, Jay, come on, have a coffee, come and sit down, let's have a chat. And you don't get that everywhere. They mix together, um, they seem to push each other, drive each other. And having sat down with Sean Dyche, he, he expects standards to be upheld. And that's not just between teammates, it's between all of the staff mm. that is at that training facility. Um, and even like the players seem to all understand that and understand their roles of what they, what's expected of them as Burnley players. And they just, they just take that onto the pitch. And I think also what people probably don't realise, they've got some good players now as well. But He's just gradually added and added bit by bit but, to their squad and they've got, they've got a good group. Remarkably, they lost what, Andre Gray, yeah. Michael Keane, Tom Heaton was in the England yeah. team, injured. All of Virtually left and not played. He's replaced them, Virtually in-house, hasn't he? Yeah. I mean, how good a job, uh, Sean does. Is absolutely. If Pep hadn't kind of had the season that he had had and blown everybody in the way in the Premier League, he would, he would be man of the gym. Well, I don't yeah. think he is. You think Pep's manager well, of the year? Look, the season that Manchester City had with Pep Guardiola and kind of the style that they're going to win the Premier League, it's hard to look past that. But he is... Literally right there what with I him. What I want to say about Sean Dice is that away from the football pitch itself, 
it's how Burnley have grown in the five years since he's been there as well, which people should take notice of, of course, because they're not as popular as other teams. We forget about them. But when he went into Burnley, you know, they were getting changed in porter cabins. Then he'd had another porter cabin for the sports science, and then another porter cabin would get added. And the fact that they haven't spent a lot of money on the players is because they've been building the infrastructure of their training grounds, which is now fantastic. The pitches are brilliant. The facilities are brilliant. That's where a lot of the money's been spent, and we don't see it because all we notice about is the pitch. The fact that he's replicated what what he's done off off the field now on the on the pitch, I think he's done an incredible job. And I was the same when I when I went to to speak to them and see them all. Um, you know, you were welcome with open arms. It was like an, an old school setup, and you just you just hope hope that they keep that ethos that they've got there, and just nurture it and grow as they do because they they're, they're growing you know rapidly. Of course they are, but they're doing it really really well with a, a real nice um, touch of class. Really, I don't think it'll happen. But I would really like Sean Dyche to be manager of the year, you know. Yeah, I think everybody not, would, yeah, wouldn't he they? Can yeah. be, of course he can be. But you know, we're talking you just about people get it, though, don't we're you? talking about Pep could. Well, he's going to win two trophies. You know, Jurgen Klopp could win the, you know, the Champions League. Yeah. So of course it's difficult. But with the finances he's got, if you had a, a sort of you know the top six and the rest, of course he'd win it by a country mile. But mm. you know, a lot of people quantify you know winning trophies yeah. as, as, as getting rewards with manager of the year aren't they I mean the interesting thing for them is do they have enough big enough squad to cope with being in European football you know having one game a week it probably suits them yeah. I just wonder next season they'll need to add yeah. some players if they want to compete in Europe absolutely we've seen teams many yes. times falter yes. when they get into the Europa League and they can't handle it can they right uh, King of Egypt says Gemma that's their three word match report tonight who's she talking about Trent Alexander-Arnold. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, hey. It's as good as his jokes get. John I Doyle. Was, I thought it was three words. King of Egypt. No, Trent Alexander-Arnold. Oh, I guess worse. <laughs> Let's just move on, shall we? Uh, talk about second-half turnarounds in football. You guys have seen and enjoyed plenty of them. We'll get the thoughts of those two after this. <laughs> Better. <laughs> The greatest halftime team talk of all time is undoubtedly Istanbul. Rafa Benitez, Liverpool, AC Milan. Liverpool weren't just losing 3-0 in the Champions League final. They were losing 3-0 to perhaps the greatest set of players ever assembled. We're talking comebacks from halftime. I think 5-3 at Spurs always uh, springs to mind being 3-0 down at halftime. It's got to be West Brom away when we were 3-0 down and Scott Parker took over. And we come back to draw 3-3, two goals from Denver Bar. And Colton Cohen, I think Colton made a speech about it after and said that what Scott said at half-time was inspirational and from the back of that they weren't prepared to let the club, family, friends and fans down. Check to you, it comes running on. If he's wrong foot, he's weak I foot, volleys it into the corner, man. What a goal. The whole place has gone nuts. I'm gonna nuts. I've lost my keys. I remember I losing my keys that day. Just the euphoria. He's running to the other end of the ground. Even Stephen Harper jump, jumps in. What a comeback, what a game, what an advert, you know. It just goes to show you, if you're getting beat, never give up and never go home. Never go home as a fan. What a day. Love that. Absolutely love that. Thanks, Lee. Look, we saw an amazing turnaround, didn't we, in the Manchester derby just a few days ago. For football fans, you know, we see the 90 minutes out on the pitch, but the minute the players disappear down that tunnel, we have no idea mm. what goes on, what happens. You know, it's a bit mystical, a bit magical. What happens when your team is really struggling or absolutely flying at half-time? What tends to go on in these dressing rooms? Well, it depends, really. I mean, if you do something wrong just before half-time, Sir Alex 
could let you know about it pretty convinc convincingly. But I think everybody thinks somebody comes in and you get these Winston Churchill speeches. That uh, For me, I don't, didn't really see that as such because as a player, I'm not sure about these guys, but you don't want to be screamed at. You want a bit of content to say, how can, we, how can we do this? And I think sometimes a lot of the players, they kind of talk amongst each other and say, you know, let's do this or let's do that. The manager has a bit of an input, has his say, but often the lads are the ones that have to yeah, implement sure it on the pitch amongst themselves. I find that you would know by looking at the manager what type of team talk he would give at half-time. Graeme Souness was manager at the time for Liverpool. He could be quite vociferous at half-time. He could be, you know, the throwing cup scenario, going crazy yeah. at people. Rafa Benitez, when one of the gentlemen they were talking about the, the Istanbul comeback, Rafa's not a you know a big dictator, a big shout in the dressing room. And if anything, that would have been Stephen Gerrard or a Jamie Carragher doing the team talk. You know, I, I had a manager in Vincente del Bosque at Real Madrid who was, you know, went on to manage Spain and win the World Cup. And he was very, very quiet. He never used to say a word at half-time. It'd be the captain of the no. team. It'd be the Spanish captain of the team. It'd be Fernando Hierro at the time or Raul. They would be the leaders at half-time. And I very rarely see the manager, to be very honest. So I think it all... It all depends on what type of character you'd expect Sir Alex to shout and moan if there was a, a, a reason to shout and moan. But there's other, other managers who are quite low-key, don't need to shout. I think collectively, I think what lads are saying is the majority of the time the players will get together and whether it's you just kind of saying one or two things to a few players that you think are underperforming or saying it to a larger group, usually you get yourselves out of that situation. I mean, I, my, the comebacks I can think of for myself, 2-0 down at the Emirates um, and, and winning the game 3-2. Mm. I remember Harry in that particular situation, he used to walk in the dressing room and his head used to be bright red. Really? And you'd think, oh no, here we go. And he'd just, he'd just lose the plot. And he was very much throwing cups and so on and so forth. Was he, yeah? Yeah, he was. But then and we had a situation... Was he targeting individuals or was it just sometimes? You could imagine Harry yeah. doing it and you could imagine Juan de Ramos not doing yeah. that, you know, just by, yeah. just yeah. by but, their, their persona. But we also had a situation uh, into Milan when we're getting beat 4-0 down to 10 men and we, we all go into the dressing room at half time and he just went well it's not going very well is it <laughs> <laughs> literally we just looked at each other and was like and it, it, in a weird way it just kind of relaxed everybody and then we kind of had that similar conversation and went out and obviously Bale had his moment and, and dragged us back mm. to some form of result but that I mean, I agree with Owen. I, I never really had that kind of dictator of yeah. like Winston Churchill speech moment. You can, you moment can imagine Jurgen to shout, can't you, by his character when you see him on the on the touchline? But you know, Pochettino. I don't know whether he'd be a shouter. Pep again. The way they are, Zinedine Zidane. He's not a shouter. Yeah. He's quite quiet. He's quite passive in the dressing. What were your room. managers like? Is there someone that stands out? Someone that would sort of give that speech? No, but I, I think what managers did and what they did really well is they made you accountable. They would say, "Maka, yeah. don't let me down." Yeah. You know, JJ, do not let me down. He's outperformed you in that first half. I remember when I first time for Man United, we were in Asia somewhere, pre-season, and. Um, and Sir Alex, he said, basically, where everybody's from, all these players, we have a team that should win the league, Champions League, could. And he had an envelope and he had some names. And he said, there's some names in here I think will let us down. Make wow. sure your name is not in here. And everybody ran out of the room and basically tackled through the door, basically not wanting to let the gaffer down. And that's what he did well. Yeah. He made you not want to fail him because you didn't want to disappoint him. Was your name in the envelope? Nobody knows. I don't think there was any names in the envelope, yeah, to be fair. psychological ploy, right. that one, isn't it? Very good. OK, I'm short and sweet, but I enjoyed that. Listen, thanks for your company tonight. Nice to have you three uh, on the show. Bournemouth against Manchester United, Wednesday, 7 o'clock. Uh, that could be the game that gives Man City the title. Celtic against Hibs could be the game that gives Celtic the title. Then next weekend, score on Saturday and Chelsea Southampton in the FA Cup on Sunday. Last word, as always, is yours. Good night.
Look at his face. Look at his face. Never seen Wolves in the Premier League before. And there we are, Premier League. So it is all over at Turf Moor. And Burnley have secured an absolutely massive win. Same old story. Leicester make mistakes. Cost them dearly. Game was over after 10 minutes. It really doesn't get much worse than that. I've forgotten what it feels like to win on the road, let alone score. Push for the top four, win the FA Cup. Absolutely ridiculous, ridiculous match and Giroud has to start. We were 2-0 up, we had our chance. They get home to Chelsea, these would have been massive three points. We had our chance and we blew it. Thanks again for listening to this week's Premier League Tonight podcast. If you liked it, why not subscribe to make sure you never miss a show. We're back in a couple of weeks on the 28th of April, coming to you from Swansea as we're live on BT Sport to watch Swansea take on Chelsea. You can also get involved with the conversation at hashtag PLTonight. Bye for now.